episode 185 of Friends of Film, we're here bringing the latest movie news and review the biggest new release, which this week is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Wood, once again joined by Josh Daly. Hello, everyone. Hello, Cooper. Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How Great. about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, my life got turned and flipped upside down this week, though. Okay. Um, well, not really. Uh, but it feels like a massive change. Oh boy! What occurred. happened? The new Twitter update <laughs> on desktop. If you're a desktop user, which I think we are, you yes, are. I, I am. am. I am a desktop time. user. Yep. Uh, all of my tweets are gone. Like they deleted your whole account. No. Okay. <laughs> not really. But every like everything is so big. Yes. But then there's like, oh, we're gonna give you like the square, like as big as like my hand, you know, uh-huh. for like my tweets to be seen. And it's like, no. I want, like, I've never cared about trending topics, ever. I don't want to know who to follow, but there are two pains that I can't get rid of that are just there, glued to it. I love that I can get at my bookmarks. You know the solution? No, I don't. You do TweetDeck, which is the superior version. Obviously, it's what I've been using for the past uh, three years, probably, Mm -hmm. on desktop. I do not use the desktop Twitter, because even before that, I'm just like, it's just so... Like, it just seems just like the mobile. This one's even more like yeah. mobile where it's like, oh, here, see three tweets mm-hmm. and then scroll to see three more. It's like, no, I want to see six, seven <laughs> tweets. Yes. And then tweet deck, I can have all these different lists and categories and my mentions in here, mm-hmm. my notifications here, my DMs here, my timeline, all these other things if in I, one screen that's easily accessible. If I wasn't so worried about tweeting from the friends and film account while I'm like yelling at randos online, <laughs> I think I would probably do that. But then again, it wouldn't be so much. It wouldn't be that much different than what right. I already do under the friends and film account. <laughs> all, all you have to do is just make sure that you're you sign in with your personal account first, such mm-hmm. a primary account. Yes, and then you can set yourself up as, to have authorization to use the friends and film account and that way then it's your secondary one never your primary you always have to choose friends and film to tweet from oh i can set a confirmation step before i tweet that's also you can do that that is definitely <laughs> what i'll do great 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 well hey speaking of twitter and the redesign you can find us on there at friends and film a n d film um but if you're looking for episodes of movies we're about to review like said movie we're doing today Quit Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You can find those on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts can be found. But on Apple Podcasts, please jump over there, rate, and review us. That'll ultimately help rank us, and then we can find more friends of the show. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm not. I don't know if I'm ready to announce the giveaway yet. Ooh, it's close. Because I don't know when exactly it's going to be given away, so we'll hold off maybe. But there's a giveaway I'm, coming. There's a there's a giveaway coming. So. Uh, you know, get stay tuned to our Twitter to uh, have have those iTunes reviews ready to go, and uh, maybe you'll end, maybe you'll uh, you'll win something here from Friends of Film in a couple weeks. Wink, wink. So, um, before we get into our view of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this mm-hmm. week, Josh, is there anything when you weren't busy trying to figure out the new Twitter design that you were like, you know, I'm gonna watch this instead of? Once upon a time in Hollywood or anything? Uh, oh no, no, I kind of spent the week. Well, nothing new. Okay, but I spent my week in preparation for um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and I finally got to the Tarantino movies that I had not seen: um, Jackie Brown and Death Proof. Okay, the two ones that like don't make like Mike. That's a B movie, or that's not him, of <laughs> uh-huh. course. But Jackie Brown was the most surprising one. Yeah. Um, because it just seems like a low key drama 
that you wouldn't expect Samuel L. Jackson to show up in. Mm -hmm. Like that point in his career. Like now, I mean, yeah, I'd be like, why Samuel L. Jackson in that? Who cares? Who knows? You know? Um, But it's just like a, it's, it's like a low key, very non, non, like guess what I'd call Tarantino-esque gangster mob movie Mm -hmm. that you think, it felt like a TV movie on Lifetime. Okay, I can see that. But just written by him. Right. You know, with much, clearly much more better dialogue mm-hmm. and cinematic, like, you know, cinematography and all of those things and flourishes. Uh, and so I really enjoyed it. Um, that proof, it like we were talking about this off camera uh-huh. or off, off mic, and it's it's fine. It's a, it's a really pulpy and just sort of like, here's these things going down, like like the revenge story. Like, it's yeah. just, it's all of those things. Um but, but without, I don't know, it's missing real drama, I think. Mm-hmm. Stakes to care about, characters to care about, even though, um, who doesn't, you know, I don't know. But that's me and Death Proof. That's me and Death Proof. Yeah, no, I, I like you, rewatched Tarantino's entire filmography. Um, I'd seen Jackie Brown once before, same with Death Proof. I think all the other ones I'd seen at least two oh, times. Yeah. We talked about this last week. Maybe. I'm not totally sure. Um but I also saw this uh, independent movie called Wild Rose uh, starring Jessie Buckley, uh, and she is fantastic. She was, uh, if you watched the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO earlier this year, she played the wife of the person who was uh, contaminated. The and then, firefighter. Yeah. Yeah. So she played, she played his wife. She was great in the series. And now here she gets to not only show more of her entire range but then also her singing ability which is like top-notch incredible um there were like clear like sing street slash a star is born sort of vibes i was getting from the movie but then definitely different i think sing street is probably the more apt comparison just because they're both set in you know the uk um this one she's from glasgow and she's got this really thick accent and sometimes it can be a little difficult to understand her or her kids in the movie but Mm -hmm. uh she is just filled with energy and she's got this angelic voice and every time she sings, it's probably the highlight of the movie yeah. um, because the director just kind of shoots her in this like really warm orange and yellow light and like she it looks incredible um, and it sends you on the highest note possible with like her big, you know, moment and it's just like, oh, chef's kiss. It was, it was really, really good. So if you have a chance to see Wild Rose, um, I think it's just in limited theaters at this point. So it'll probably be available on streaming or somewhere to rent um, in the relative near future, but definitely go check out Wild Rose. Uh, Jesse Buckley gives one of the best female performances I've seen this year. Awesome. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Definitely go check it out. Um, as you should go check out Once Wild on Hollywood. At least I will say that. I can't speak for Josh at this point, but I have a review up for the ninth Quentin Tarantino movie on friendsoffilm.wordpress.com, which has a headline that says Tarantino's least Tarantino movie, um, which I know you kind of just talked about that with Jackie Brown, mm-hmm. but I still feel like there's a lot of Tarantino in Jackie Brown. I think really it's more of like a either or. It's either Jackie Brown is fully Tarantino's least Tarantino movie mm-hmm. or this one for the first two acts is like very on Tarantino. The first three acts, point eight nine, <laughs> right. or something like that. Yeah, then there's a turn that happens, and you know his usual style and approach and uh, aesthetic kind of comes back into play very abruptly. And you're like, "Yep, this is a Tarantino movie, all mm-hmm. right." And I think for the first two thirds of the movie, uh, before all that stuff happens, I was really, really digging this movie. Um, I thought it was something that 
gives you incredible performances by Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitts. They are both absolutely great, especially Leo, where he has to... I'm always fascinated by the challenge of great actors having to play mediocre actors. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he pulls off a mediocre actor so, so well, mm-hmm. where it's like his weird like blinking tendencies, like uh, that kind of twitch, um, to then when he can't remember his lines to freaking out and these yes. outbursts that he has to have that were shown in the trailers, but they're even better here, or his... Uh, as he kind of comes to terms with, oh, I used to be like the biggest Western TV star around. And now he's like, you're hired to do each pilot to show that the new guy is the better guy. Mm-hmm. And his like mental breakdown, he has this like self-discovery. Um, yes. it's, it's, it is some of the best stuff that DiCaprio's ever done. And then opposite Brad Pitt, he's like the best, best friend that you can get in a Tarantino movie probably. And I think Pitt just really just leans into that role. You know, he's not, he's not asked to be like all the way Brad Pitt charismatic, but he's also not asked to be not Brad Pitt. So he's like, Oh, like you're just like a cool regular guy. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, like I can buy Brad Pitt as, as that for mm-hmm. some reason. This was actually a documentary of how Brad Pitt spends his <laughs> right. days now. I could I could believe that. He just drives around LA in a convertible, top down, wearing Hawaiian t shirts mm-hmm. and just like having a great time. Like I could totally see that as like being what Brad Pitt does now, even what Brad Pitt did back in the seventies or something. Right. Like it makes sense to me. Um I think also Margot Robbie, she does a really good job as Sharon Tate limited role she's definitely the c plot of the movie here mm-hmm. um and doesn't get a lot to do and the weird the weird thing about this is because she's playing sharon tate there's like this whole long sequence where uh she is watching a sharon tate movie yes and they use actual the sharon crew. tate yes. footage that was a little weird for me because i felt like up until that point and throughout the rest of the movie tarantino does a really good job of being like this is 1969 Hollywood mm-hmm. and you're like yeah I, I believe it it looks like that even the way he shoots the movie the the types of footage he uses um, the throwbacks to um, Rick Dalton's you know early western TV stuff it all looks and feels like something that came out of the late six the movie version of Sharon Tate watching the real Sharon Tate and it was just like there's obviously a visual similar juxtaposed was like uh you're not the same and sure. that was weird to watch for me um, I think other than that, there's, you know, the end points where the the movie takes a tonal shift, which I did not feel like was in line with what the previous, um, you know, two hours of the movie was. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a little jarring, even though it is a Tarantino movie. I was expecting at some point just the suddenness that it all occurs. I was like, oh, I was taken aback. And yeah. it still can be somewhat enjoyable, but it does. I don't think he handled that transition as well. And even the overall connecting of the story because Tarantino does a lot does a really good job normally of connecting all these various storylines into one intricate plot this movie I want to tell this big story here but then I also want to deal with like this a little disconnected um for me and so I'm going to give this movie four ticket stubs out of five it's it's great uh the performances are solid the camera work by uh i want to put this in the upper echelon of his movies but we'll get into kind of that in the spoiler discussion but i'll get hollywood okay well i'll say this this is my i've only seen it once but i want to see it three four five more times okay and i don't say that at all about two hour and 45 minute movies (laughs) um because i abhor them um unless they're star wars or blade runner (laughs) or den of villain news three hour a half hour cut of Dune, which is so coming. It's so coming. Anyway, 
I love I I loved it as much as I I think I possibly could because number one Quentin Quentin Tarantino's mission with this movie seemed to have been remember nineteen remember Hollywood in the nineteen sixties remember Hollywood in nineteen sixty nine for two hours in twenty minutes mm-hmm. we get to live in that world with Quentin Tarantino's sensibilities and the characters that inhabit his movies um, and those just happen just so happen to be like two of the best leading men that we've had over the last two, three decades, mm-hmm. which is Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Two ridiculously handsome people cruising around Hollywood, acting, doing stunts, having encounters with these icons of that era that go from Jet Li to Sharon Tate to, I'm sure there are others that I didn't notice that are actually real people. Yeah, I mean, that I, like, there are I so, don't know. Right, there are so many references to like, <laughs> spaghetti westerns mm-hmm. or just old time TV where I'm like I don't know what any of this stuff means yeah but clearly Tarantino has like done his research and knows all this history yeah like this movie can't possibly mean as much to me as it does to anyone in their 40s or 50s or and so on and so forth but the the sense of the there's a there's the music and the world all pulls me into it and makes me say yeah maybe things were better back then and, uh, and that's kind of the nostalgia thing that it's like pulling at and uh I was here for it. So like from every song used, um, because I love music, just drawn right in. But you're, you're totally right. The story, the two leads, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, it's just like, it's just a showcase for like, yeah, these guys are great at what they do. And I don't know why they don't do what they do as often as they do mm-hmm. because they pick their projects so specifically. Um, because there's a, there's a moment where Brad Pitt is just like climbing up onto the roof or getting ready to climb up onto the roof. And just like, this is so like this could be, should be so boring, and then he I'm like okay he's so handsome and like you said <laughs> dry, cruising around L.A. There's like probably thirty minutes of Brad Pitt cruising around L.A. <laughs> and it's just like yeah this is it because the song the music the locations the landmarks are all just pulling at your heartstrings and pulling your your sense of wonder and um you know into it all and then Margaret Qualley shows up like three or four times and just like. Oh, she is incredibly charismatic and wonderful. And you're like, Brad Pitt, like, give her a ride wherever she needs to go. I mean, it turns out that place is, you know, the mansion ranch. But, you, you know, you're like, what are, you, what are you wasting your time for? And that's kind of what it does. Um, and then there's like, there's a day in the life of. And there's so many things to break down here. But it is, like you said, the Tarantino's most un-Tarantino movie because there's nothing really happens other than the quick-witted characters and jokes that are the staple of his movies up until the very end when we get a obscene burst of violence that I don't think we've seen before in his movies. The Hateful Eight probably gets us close. The Hateful Eight and Django. Django gets us closer. Really, really violent at but the th- end. These, these images linger, I think, or will linger. I'm going to need to like, compare them all. Yeah. But And that's that moment where we're like, Oh yeah, this is a Tarantino movie. This isn't just some kind of, you know, ode to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And when we get to that ending, you're just sort of laughing when you're just sort of laughing from disbelief because of what you just saw, the ridiculous of the entire situation, and it's his last laugh. Um and I loved I loved it all for that. And that's why I want to go see it again and again and again because so much is so specific and so real and uh, I'm giving it uh, five out of five ticket stubs because I don't have a problem with it, like at all. <laughs> like I mean, like you and then like I know there's and then of course Margot Robbie Sharon Tate, mm-hmm. who just is as is, is as effervescent as 
ever in this movie and then especially at that theater scene like that didn't yeah. jar me as much because the, there was a charm to her just being like i'm gonna see myself in the movie and see how it like does everyone laugh am i really entertaining these mm-hmm. people and like that that's where her, her joy comes out of and uh, i just thought that was played to perfection yeah i guess let's move into spoilers uh on once my time in hollywood and i mean i'm i'll definitely echo you with like the the probably the way it's like the least tarantino of it mm-hmm. all, it's just that like, it's a warm movie about friendship. At the end of the day, it's like, oh, it's like yeah. Cliff is like the prototypical like you want this guy and his dog to like be on your side at all instances, and like the relationship between Rick and Cliff is just, is so good. It's probably the best friendship relationship that Tarantino's ever done. I think um, just in terms of like. This is actually like a legit like they 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 care about each other. It's not like oh I'm using you to get to somewhere else. I'm using you to do something. These are just two guys who've grown up in Hollywood. One being the leading man, one being the stunt double, and just having this incredible friendship. Where now that like you know even mm-hmm. though Rick's a washed up guy, he's still paying Cliff just to be like his like assistant basically. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, Drive me around because I got a couple of DUIs and crashed <laughs> my car. Right. Uh fix my satellite <laughs> because of a storm. Like mm-hmm. that's what Rick's up to now. He's not doing stunt work anymore. And but he seems like content with that lifestyle. And I, I think that that friendship is really the beating heart of the movie. And that's where I found the most enjoyment out of yeah. once upon how it was was with Cliff specifically. Mm-hmm. For all, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And um, can we just pause for a yeah. minute and just talk about what a great dog Brandy is? Oh, Brandy's the best. Oh, my goodness. The, the, just this slightly chubby pit bull that <laughs> is on the peripheries of all the movie up until the very end where she comes to his defense uh-huh. um, in like this raging over the top um, fight scene that occurs. Uh, just outside of uh, Hollywood in the, in, um, what's his name? Not Caleb. That's his, his actor's name. Cliff Booth. Thank you. Yes. Not Cliff Booth. No, that's, that's Cliff Brad Booth. Pitt's name. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're, his, you're think, are you thinking of Rick Dalton? Rick's house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, inside Rick's house with some of the Manson family. And you're just like, you just want to give her all the treats and the pets and like the wolf food and uh, everything. Every moment she was in this was just adorable and perfect. Um, Pitbull for life, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that seems great just because, like, Brad Pitt or Cliff Booth is tripping on an acid cigarette for the first time. Um, <laughs> and so, like, when Tex and some other Charles Manson um, followers come in there, yeah. he's like, are you really here? <laughs> uh, do you want to fight? I mean, okay, we can do this. And, he, like, they're all like, <laughs> and he starts, like, laughing hysterically right. and all the Manson people are like, Ooh, mm-hmm. is this guy insane? <laughs> what? yes. What's going on? They start laughing. We're and, the crazy ones here, yeah, pal. It's, uh, and then it just, like, it just great. clicks his mouth and the whole room erupts into, like, and that's that chaotic moment where you're you're in Hollywood and then you're in a Tarantino movie. Yeah. We get the, we get Quentin, I think it's, it's Tarantino himself narrating those I, final moments, correct? I believe so, yeah. Because we get three narrators Mm -hmm. we get booth narrating a quick moment at the beginning of the Uh film we get kurt russell doing yeah a lot of it yeah he does something in the middle and then or yeah um he sort of says oh and then he went and did spaghetti oh that's right yeah yeah. everything like that Mm -hmm. and then we get quentin doing the final like the beat by beat of that night on august 6th august 9th yeah so uh but anyway that that's where it erupts people's heads are slammed into phones which yeah. was gr- gruesome being impaled that way. Um, 
a can, breaks a few people's noses. And that then was is, disgusting. And, the, and then gets smashed in with then she runs Something. through a glass door and oh, that's right. then she's impaled. Then she gets burnt alive by a flamethrower, <laughs> yes. uh, which was Check absolutely insane. <laughs> the, uh, the left, the remains of the Nazi movie that, yeah. uh, that, um, that Rick had done. Rick Dalton had done. Yes. Comes back. Right. Like the that, entire <laughs> theater. As soon as they saw him walking out of that shed. Oh yeah. With, and then the, and he just started clapping and hooting and hollering even before the flamethrower comes into view because it was just so well uh, set up for that yeah. to go down. I mean, I do enjoy that sequence because mm-hmm. uh, it is, it's, it's typical Tarantino. Yeah, why was the disconnect there? For it you? just, it felt unlike the previous two hours and 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So there was this, I felt Tarantino established this is the tone of this movie. Yeah. It's warm. It's fun. It's funny. Um, and this is our story. And I was like, okay, this is our tone. Okay, I'm on board for this. And then at the last second, he's like, oh, I did tease the Mansons. I did tease mm-hmm. all this other stuff. I need to tie that up. Yeah. So, all right, the Mansons people are going to the house. Also, little nitpick, they drive past uh, Cliff and they don't recognize him, and then I guess they they, you know, tie it up at like when they actually confront each other in the house. Or I was like, yeah, I feel like they would have been like, that's the guy who came to our ranch. Like, probably mm-hmm. I would assume well, the had, one stranger who comes to their ranch in their entire right. existence. It had been six months, and then I guess so. you know you're, they're on their mission to go to Terry's old house, yeah, which is now occupied by the plants. Right, but it just um, yeah, it just felt to me that it was so unlike the rest of the movie that just yeah. did it didn't fit it felt like tarantino wanted to do this great epic hollywood love letter mm-hmm. here's what it was like in the late 60s and this change from tv to movies and how that like would have an impact on a major star like like rick dalton and that's my story we're gonna have sharon tate juxtapose this whole thing where it's like oh well rick dalton's struggling she is just coming into the industry she's being she's gonna be a, a big new star she's you know dating slash married to roman polanski the hottest director in town right now like they're on the up and up and right next door rick dalton's on the like he like he's on he's at rock bottom almost like he's just like i don't know what i'm gonna do with my career i'm gonna yeah. cry to julia butters on the set about <laughs> you know whether or not this book is actually like a memoir of my life yeah. and uh they go from that to then being like oh jump six months forward it's mm-hmm. the day Yes, that we all know that like that's the day that Sharon Tate in real life was killed by the Manson family, and you're like, oh, so this is how you're going to tie this up, and it just felt so last second that yeah. I was like before this wondering, oh, is he just not even going to deal with this? Is he just going to have Sharon Tate in his movie, mm-hmm. the Manson's ancillary characters around, just being like, oh, they're a looming sort of presence figure group yeah. in Hollywood and we're not going to touch it. I'm like, okay, that'd be interesting right. that he just avoids this. And then it felt like it was like, it was right there at his fingertips that he couldn't avoid it mm-hmm. and be like, I have to address it. And now we have to jump six months and do this all. Here's a montage going from noon to two to five to six to seven, eight to midnight. Boom. Here's the event. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the Mansons are really like, well, in I like this is why I need to go see it again mm-hmm. because y- there is so many things happening in this movie on the peripherals that kind of set the tone. And then, then I think like the, the Manson family arriving at the end is sort of like the, it's like the small stick of dynamite that's going to like blow off everything else. Right. Because Charlie is not a part of it. He's no. in two scenes. Do you even see his face? 
we see his face because he turns to the window and he like waves to uh oh that's right he because he talks to sharon tate and them uh yeah jc he, he talks to jay's in at the front of the door yeah and then he turns and just kind of waves and we're like that's well, like, charlie that's, that's it that's the only scene mm-hmm. we actually see his face in it yep so it's like yeah, he him himself is not that large. Yeah, for he's on the edge of the movie. The whole the entire the entirety of the Manson family is on the edge of this movie. But also like um media is so a part of this. You're hearing on the radio uh conversations about Vietnam, you're hearing things about I think I'm pretty sure one of the Kennedy assassinations would have to have been Robert. Um Kennedy's assassination was being talked about. Uh-huh. Um kind of in brief. And there's sort of like those things on the edge, like the darkness on the edge of town, Springsteen song or whatever. And so when we get to the end, it sort of felt to me like, all right, things are about to change in Hollywood because Charlie's still out there mm-hmm. and they're definitely still killing people up at the ranch, which they allude to um, not so subtly with the horses and everything right. like that. Um, and so like, I was so glad that I brushed up on all this, like my Manson murder history because mm-hmm. First of all, it's wild. Second of all, it just makes the movie better because there's it, there, it adds a foreboding sense to it because when you get to the ranch, you get that feeling of everything's not okay. Yeah. Especially when he's speaking to uh, Swan. Uh, something like that, yeah. yeah. You know, and you're like, this does not feel right. And I, I totally did not recognize Dakota Fanning. No, I didn't either. all in that. I was like, who is this? She looks familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that was Dakota Fanning. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, and then, oh, Sadie, uh, Sadie Hawk. Yeah. Or Maya Hawk. Sorry. Maya Hawk. Maya yeah. Hawk. Yes. Her character's Sadie in the. In Stranger Things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Maya Hawk yeah, she shows has, like, up. She's in there for two quick. lines. And you're like, oh, <laughs> this is great. Yeah. And she's like, oh, she's gone. Darn. <laughs> and then she's just like, uh, can I get those keys? Uh, yeah. And I'm outie. All right. See ya. <laughs> right. Um, but that was, that was why it didn't seem so out of the ordinary because there was. We knew this was kind of coming. I figured this was kind of coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I don't know. It's kind of no. It's sort of kind of like a signifier of things are about to get crazy. Yeah. And this is like this one golden moment mm-hmm. where everything was kind of sort of good. Yeah. And so that's why it didn't really throw me. Um, but I there are so many TV shows and things going on here that I have no clue what <laughs> it means. It looks so weird and so dumb that I just need to understand um, going through rewatches and I, everything like that. I don't. I mean that that'll to understand it all. I feel like that'll take years like or at least a week worth of research to be like mm-hmm. all right i need to find the article that's on some major website and be like here's every may like mm-hmm. hollywood reference made in tarantino movies and you watch like an episode of this like 1940s western uh at, like series that was on for a season and that that's the one that tarantino references or something like yeah like there's so to me i would assume deep cut references to like things that I have no idea about. Um, I think a lot of people will not, and I, th- I think, but I also think that's fine because it's going to either encourage you to be like, "Oh, I want to know about all this stuff that Tarantino is referencing," or yeah. you're just going to look at it and be like, "All right, here's a bunch of references to old time stuff I don't know about, but mm-hmm. that doesn't matter because it doesn't actually be like, oh, if I knew what this person or TV show or whatever did or was about or what it featured." I'd better understand this movie. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you watched Bruce Lee and the green Hornet mm-hmm. TV show <laughs> several decades ago, you can still get that reference. You, most people probably know what green Hornet is. Yeah. Um, and that Bruce Lee was in it. Um, but like, otherwise you're just like, okay, like this is all just like background details to be like, to build an authentic re- recreation of 1969 Hollywood. Yeah. I think I said Jet Li earlier. I want to apologize oh. to Bruce Lee for that. But um, shout out to Mike Moe, who plays him. 
uncanny. Yeah, it, he is. He is so good. There, there's a little bit of. There's a little bit of like. Um, he, they're doing a little bit of a joke though with it too, sort of like he's being dubbed the entire movie, yeah. kind of the way his dialogue is delivered, which I thought was kind of funny. But watching him and Brad Pitt just square off was phenomenal. That that entire flashback sequence that where Bruce or Bruce Lee gets to kind of like star in, yeah, um, that involves Kurt Russell, his wife, who's the costume designer, uh-huh. <laughs> and just the whole thing, um is hilarious and perfect and like i think it's like the golden not it's one of the golden moments of the movie oh it, it's incredible i didn't even realize this until so i heard it mentioned on some podcast on that uh that whole fight sequence is one shot i thought they cut when he was when bruce was thrown into the car yes and maybe that's where it ends mm-hmm. but leading up to that at yeah. least maybe including the throw i'm not entirely sure about the throw but lean up to that. That's all one shot. Like, oh. The throw is definitely a cut. But I, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Because yeah, the throw is definitely a cut because it cuts to like a low side shot of the car and mm-hmm. Bruce slams into it. So right. <laughs> I mean, I, I just love that whole sequence. The like <laughs> him talking to Zoe Bell's character, who is the costume designer, who's the wife of Kurt Russell, who's been he's been told to avoid mm-hmm. uh, because she does not like him, and then right. he throws Bruce Lee, the lead of their series, yes. the co-lead of the series into the her car and <laughs> right. highly damages it and it's just like oh like cliff you have no self-control yeah but i but i like it was just like a great moment in this mm-hmm. movie and then it pulls out and brad pitch is kind of like yeah fair yeah. <laughs> like, before yeah. that he was like huh i couldn't get on this tv show because right. kurt russell's the stunt coordinator mm-hmm. mm, i don't know and then they flashback <laughs> to the whole sequence he's like yeah that's probably right yeah i, I wouldn't i wouldn't either yeah um, but I, that flashback also did touch on something that i was very curious about yeah this hinted backstory that cliff may or may not have purposefully killed his wife yes it was an accident supposedly um <laughs> where yeah but they they show us it too they're they, scuba diving right um, and he's holding uh a, a gun a harpoon, a harpoon gun, gun yeah in his lap she's you know yelling at him about something i don't remember what their vacation and his money right about how the vacation sucks it wasn't what she thought it was going to be and he's just holding this gun and then it cuts as he's remembering all of these, like, you know, this stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, but like, did, but I want to know, like, because that was something that they kept on touching on. I was like, Oh, he killed his wife. He, he killed his wife. Did he kill his wife? Well, I don't know. I was like, eh. I mean, it's kind of, it's classic Tarantino to bring up this idea and then not show you or tell you what actually happened. Yeah. But you know, I maybe would have liked to know. It's, it's really... not, it's, it's not a, a dig on the movie. It's just yeah. more like, Oh, that's such an interesting nugget of information about Cliff Booth and his character. Like if he has this crazy dark past, mm-hmm. maybe it's answered in how he responds to the Mansons and <laughs> kills three people. Um, yeah, but I that that's a very interesting piece of backstory. I wish I had more info. Yeah, on. he's a Vietnam vet. I think they kind of allude to yes. too um, once or twice, and that's how he ends up getting on the show. Mm-hmm. And so there's all those things that yeah, that are right there, um, kind of laid out for his character. Um, and then jumping like Dica- oh, DiCaprio gives like an all timer performance. Yeah, it, it's it's really really tough um, because a he's DiCaprio and he's done a ton of great performances. Yeah, um, but it's definitely uh, it's I feel like it's definitely top five for him. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm ready to say it's his best because I feel like his role in Django is he is so electric um, and evil 
in that movie mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh man, he is just eating up every scene. Um, there's Wolf of Wall Street. Revenant is like, he's like, I'm go, I'm getting this Oscar. You cannot stop me. <laughs> yes. uh, but like, this is like I mentioned, this is such a different turn for him that like, it's definitely up there. Yeah, there. I think there's there's a there's a. I think he's like he's vulnerable in this. Yeah, is that, that I think because I don't know. It's just there's an insecurity that he just the the vein that they're cutting open. He's just like bleeding out mm-hmm. to. Um, that is, I don't know. Is really admirable and. It's like, especially like in that scene with played for laughs where he's just yelling at himself and so upset with his performance. It's like for, for, um, or, you know, what is it? For whiskey yeah, sours. Yeah. He's like, he's like, you had eight, you could have stopped at three. Yes. What's wrong with you? You're going to stop. Yeah, no more. Drinking. And then he drinks, and he gets mad at himself, throws it out the, the trailer, the stutter. Uh, and like, yeah, all of those ticks that, you know, like come into play that, um, I don't know. Like it's that. And it's just, it's everywhere else in the movie and every and all of his interactions. It's in particular until um, the the girl, the eight year old, yeah, Butters, Ju- Julia Butters, Julia Butters, who who is incredible, who is yeah, is incredible. Like the, the, like she needs to be a star of everything. Yeah, like it is. It is like witnessing. Um, I don't know. It just it was a phenomenal moment that you don't expect. No. kid actors to be able to do no, like she is ho- she is literally stealing the scene from Leonardo DiCaprio who mm-hmm. at that moment is as you mentioned going into this insanely vulnerable place of being like maybe I don't have what it takes anymore yeah. <laughs> to, to, to do this line of work and she's I... like oh it's okay he's like oh thanks buttercup yeah. and he's just like she's like I don't like that I don't like you know for you people to call me buttercup but since you're so upset yeah. I'll let it pass and I was <laughs> yes. like oh she's like still laying down the law mm-hmm. while still like being comforting yeah and then and, you know and and it's yeah and it was it was one that was the scene where I realized this is Quentin Tarantino still right because the, it, it was equivalent to watching Sam Jackson talk down Tim Roth mm-hmm. and then in the diner scene at the end of Pulp Fiction. Like that was the level they were operating on. And it's actually the level they're operating on in a lot of other moments here too, or at least just slightly less mm-hmm. with a lot of like, you know, Zed's dead baby throwaway lines tossed in there too, which I think is an all time great that no one gets credit for. But yeah. And I don't know where I was going with this, but Dica- I think Di- DiCaprio is, this is, a, this is, this is what we should give him the Oscar for. Rather than you know having him tumble through <laughs> the Canadian wilderness or wherever yeah. that was at, and so um, yeah, yeah, I, I love that whole because that's basically Act Two is when Cliff, yeah, or not Cliff, Rick is t- doing his like first day on set of some new Western project. What did you think of that whole thing? I uh, about his whole role there. Yeah, he, well, his whole that whole setup where they're just like, here's a old Western, but. Basically shot normal, like we get to see it like yeah, we so would. Yeah, that, that was the weird thing for me. I loved it because though. I was, and the, I kept having this struggle of like, okay, Tarantino is clearly defining when he's showing past footage of Rick, but then in this scene, um, when he, when we actually see him and Timmy Oliphant, who's great in the movie, um, in this very small role, um, do scenes together, and he keeps messing up his mm-hmm. line and keeps forgetting, and he's just like. They keep resetting the camera, yeah, and they do it all in one take. I'm pretty sure, um, where you just are, you know, it starts and you're looking at Timmy Oliphant, and then you it pans around the table, mm-hmm. so then you can see Leo by the time Oliphant's done talking, yeah, and then Leo messes up. We go back to uh, Oliphant, and it pan- it goes back to the starting point, and mm-hmm. then it go- it redoes that same approach. I was like, okay, like, are they? Tr- is he trying to communicate that this is 
the actual like scene taking place and like what they're shooting yeah. because for me in that moment and in that thought I was like this feels too slick and crisp and cool and too Tarantino and how this movie's and how this TV show is being shot shot in the 60s yeah like to be authentic and mm-hmm. so that's it was this very weird headspace I was in I was like is he trying to do like this this is really how it's going to look at the end of the day yeah or is this here's Tarantino shooting the set of what's happening yeah, because then it, it's kind of both. Yeah. Because then in the, the second part of that scene after, you know, Leo's big outburst in the trailer, um, it's him and Julia butters doing their scene where he is basically like threatening to kill her. Mm-hmm. And he is so, uh, aggressive and kind of over the top, but he's, has it all channeled in. He's like going for Shakespeare and <laughs> yeah, Leo, <evil> right. <laughs> Leo is so good in that scene. And like, it's that, it's that, moment of brilliance where you're like oh rick dalton like a because leo but also like rick dalton in this role mm-hmm. is showing like those glimpses of oh that's why he was trying to be pushed to be a movie star yeah but then failed somehow right but like, you can see those glimpses in there even though he has those screw-ups that happened early in the day he still has these seconds of greatness um but during this whole scene we're getting these these shot these wider shots outside you see the whole frame then you get these close-ups of leo you mm-hmm. get this down low shot of julia butters being thrown to the floor you cut back to leo you have all these different shots and cuts happening all at the same time i was like okay yeah is this again is this all one take that's happening or is this multiple takes that happened over time that the director is stitching together behind the scenes and mm-hmm. we're seeing theoretically the final product of this tv show or is this tarantino doing his style on the one take of the sequence. Yeah, it's really meta. And it was it was really jarring for me. Yeah, I think it's like I think it's like it's like both. It's it's how it's one how Tarantino would shoot it, right? But it's also how they're shooting it. But it's probably not how it'll look. And it's like mm-hmm. you know, like they're not gonna like well, but they do a one take. You just cut right to Leo. Yeah, you save time. It's gotta be under twenty two minutes. It's exactly. like all of those things that like you don't get in anywhere else other than like HBO or something right, like, like that. I you was know? as this was happening, I was like, hmm, would a nineteen sixty nine western have? 10 to 15 cuts on a minute and a half like monologue by yeah. Leo. I don't think so. Right. <laughs> and so I was like, but is this, but again, like it's not like shown in black and white. It's not shown in like mm-hmm. a cropped aspect ratio to be like, Oh, this is like the final product. So it's like, right. I, I, I feel like it's probably more of like, this is just Tarantino doing what he would do with the Western. Yeah. But since like we talked about with the cameras being reset and stuff and them all trying to seem like it's all, the actual camera movements and stuff and the mm-hmm. framings. I was like, I, I'm not totally sure. Yeah. And so it was, it was very weird, but, but it's super it lo- fun. But though. It lo- yes, it yeah. is very fun. It looks great. Um, but it, that was one of those other things where I was like, ah, what, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Threw we, me out a little bit. Um, it did. It, I did get thrown out a little bit too, because we do get a, um, we do get a, uh, we do get some, you know, like a beleaguered Luke Perry uh-huh. for a little bit. And so that was like, oh, rest in peace, man. Right. And that was a little bit sad when he kind of waltzed in there on his cane. He's looking sleek as heck, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I I thoroughly I thoroughly enjoyed the day in the life of from the costume yes. to just like everything all the way through to the point where she's like um, the Buttersworth character is like so precocious and like, oh yeah, I've got pads, like I'm all good, like you know, yeah. like, come on, catch up, man. <laughs> this is how we do things in this biz, in this town. And so that was that was totally lovely. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to think if there's anything else specifically I want to get into. I mean, you could run down the, just the cast of greats that are in this oh, movie. I mean, yeah, it's it's incredible, and even half of them show up for like a second. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Tim Roth was apparently cut. I didn't get yeah. to see him around there. He was cut. Um, 
But who did we uh, – we got uh, – what's got his name? Kurt Russell. We had Michael Madsen, uh, Clifton uh, – what's his name? Clifton Collins? Um, yes. Yep. Who else was in there? Who played Steve McQueen? I can't even think of him, but oh, he's clearly um, somebody. Damian Lewis. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. 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 Damian Lewis. Emil Hirsch was in there um, as well. Um, and – Al, can't forget Al Pacino, oh, Al Pacino showing up. He was great. Really, really good. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it was just like watching him reenact. And like nobody else, like these small roles that you could not get anyone else to come in and just character act for mm-hmm. for, you know, three minutes. A day's worth of work, you know, really. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, that's another one of those like wow, wow, wow moments. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I guess as we kind of wrap this up, mm-hmm. you're higher in this movie than I am. So yes. we're in the pantheon of Tarantino movies. You got nine other movies to stack it up against since I've got Kill nine Bill other is, movies to stack it up against depending on if you consider Kill Bill one movie or two movies <sighs> um, which is a debate for another time it's two movies for me um, but where where where's uh, where does Once Upon a Time in Hollywood rank for you right, Kill Bill is two movies thank you yes um, I, I think it, I think early right now it's, a, it's at least number four okay because Inglorious Bastards is my number one and I don't think it could ever be moved off of there. It would take a lot. Yeah. Um, but then I'd follow that up with Kill Bill. Kill then, Bill is your two? Yes. And then I would, yeah, I would, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what Then I'd have Pulp Fiction. Uh-huh. And then I'd probably have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then I'd probably put The Hateful Eight in there at five. Okay. That's what I'm feeling. Okay. I think as of right now, I have it placed sixth. Hmm. But it's it could go to five, depending on the day. Uh, it's basically between that and Django. And even though I think I would probably enjoy rewatching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood more, yeah, because it is that warmer movie. Um, it's like it feels like an easier watch than here's you know Jamie Fox is a, a slave trying to you know like mm-hmm. kill a bunch of people and do all this stuff. Like it's a it's a tough watch. Remarkably less n words too. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get we didn't get a single one. That may be right. Was that a Tarantino first? Nah, that, that can't be right. There's got to be one. <laughs> that he oh stuck in there at gosh. some point. Um, but I think my, yeah, I think it, as of right now at least, it is six for me out of Tarantino with Kill Bill, volume one at the top. Uh, that movie's just so, you can't. it's so rewatchable. It's so easy to watch. And unlike Once Upon a Time Hollywood, it starts off with like, here's the violence that this movie's going <laughs> to yes. show you. And we are sticking with it the whole time through. It's like it rides that wave. And then it's like the pairing of the classics. Like, you know, is it Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction at two mm-hmm. and three? They're interchangeable. I think I'd put Reservoir Dogs over Pulp Fiction at this point. Um, and then Glorious Bastards, Django, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Hateful Eight, Jackie Brown, Death Proof, Kill Bill Volume 2. Yeah. Kill Bill Volume 2 is definitely the weakest. Yeah. It's 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 so weird, it's like because it's like oh Tarantino, like if this was a one movie, mm-hmm. like if it was a one cut four hour epic, I'd be like, eh, it's probably like a in a four, yeah, and it'd be middle of the road. But it's like oh the first half mm-hmm. volume one I love, right? It's number one. Second half I'm like don't really care about it. <laughs> it's the worst one, right? That the, the the scene with the crazy eighty eights is. I don't know. I think that'll live forever in infamy, yeah. and it's hard to get out. So I think this is an easy one. You've already mentioned that you want to go back to the theater again, but so you will watch this yes, one again. Yes, I will watch it again. I'll watch it. I'll watch it a lot. Several more times. Several more times. 
where do you think it could because you said it's five right now it's five right now where do you think it could climb to it could at least get to three okay and i just don't see it knocking out kill bill or, or inglorious. Um, inglorious bastards because it's just like um inglorious is so gleefully just destructive and bloody uh-huh. and has fun with itself and breads and it's a it's a all-time Brad Pitt performance too. Character performance, right. not like real. I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, I, I love it. Pretty incredible. <laughs> and then you get Kill Bill, which is just—it's that same thing, but it's just sort of—I don't know. It, there's there's a less there's a humorous tone down, and the action is just full bore. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I mean, Pulp could yeah easily you know it could get, get past not, Pulp. It could get past Pulp. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, uh, those are our thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Let us know what you guys thought about the movie as well. You can tweet us on uh, Twitter at Friends of Film. Also send us your rankings of the Tarantino movies if you have them, um, or at least a general idea of where you think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will fall for you. That's all we have to say about the movie for now. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. We're back with the news, and as always, we start with our three main topics this week. Starting off with an update on Venom Two because it's happening. It's happening, people. No matter what you wanted, whether you liked the eight hundred million dollar movie that Sony made or you hated it, we were somewhere in the middle, like I was. Uh, THR reported that Andy Serkis has met with Sony about directing the sequel uh, to Venom. The hope is for production to begin this November, so a clock certainly is ticking on them to make a decision. But it has been decided that original director of Venom, Ruben Fleischer, will not return to be behind the camera. Variety um, also added that Bumblebee's Travis Knight and Rise of the Planet of the Ape director Rupert Wyatt are also in the mix along with Circus. So it looks like Circus is the front runner at this point, but with Knight and Wyatt also in the mix still, which one of these three should it be to direct Venom 2? You definitely give it to Circus, right? I I don't want to see Travis Knight's Venom. Oh yeah, Travis Knight, love ya. You're you're super talented. Please don't go do Venom. <laughs> Please don't do Venom. <laughs> it, 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 and it's not like, and it's not that I, yeah, like you said, like I don't, it's not that I don't like Travis Knight. It's not that I don't think Rupert, Rupert Wyatt would be my next choice other than Travis Knight. I think you know? Rupert's my choice. Yeah. He will, he makes, he's just made weird, interesting things. Yeah. And Venom is a weird, interesting thing. But I want Circus involved on this because I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I feel like where Wyatt would take it would not get past Sony. It would just be hacked together into something that we would probably see, you uh-huh. know, came out in Fletcher's way. I think Circus has the pull and the strength to be like, this is the Venom movie, and then goes and does it. Because then he'd also insert himself into a role somewhere along the way. He'd maybe, maybe not. be the mocap performance of whatever this movie's about. I don't about. know. I mean, this would be, I mean, Mowgli was certainly a big production um, but like you know, Venom Two would be his biggest movie yet. And I don't know if he'd want the pressure. And there's no, as of right now, no mentions of him also eyeing the possibility of being in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that certainly could change. He could you know play the the villain or something yeah. um, in the movie instead. Um, but I just feel like Circus. 
he doesn't to me fit what that first Venom movie was. And maybe that's a sign of Sony trying to change that. And I'm all here for that. Cause I was not a big fan of the Venom movie. Um, so if circus is the guy great for him, good job, go get that money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for a pulpy campy sci-fi, is it good? Is it not good? You know, movie that Venom was right. That's like Rupert Wyatt's MO. Yeah. Exactly. And so like, it like, when he his name was linked from Variety, I was like, oh, that's like a no, like a no brainer that he's involved, and that's not a shot at Rupert Wyatt. Rise of the Planet of the Apes is great. What an impressive start to that franchise that Matt Reeves then took over and mm-hmm. ran with um, to incredible successes. But you know, Captive State earlier this year, not a great movie, pretty messy, but it's also like really messy sci-fi and a lot of creature stuff, and I feel like that's like what Wyatt is good with. And I feel like that's what he like Andy Serkis, I would assume is probably the best is probably their front runner choice. Mm-hmm. And it'll come down to like scheduling slash pay. Right. But then they're like, if it doesn't work out, Rupert's our guy probably. Cause Travis is probably just linked to it to be like, Hey, we've also met with him. And it's exactly. like, oh. but, like I, but I don't see Travis Knight doing Venom without completely overhauling what Venom was. And, uh, and also, I don't know the, and also, we don't know what kind of movies Travis Knight's trying to make. That's true. His pitch would have, like, his pitch would have to be something so different than what we've expected from him. Yeah. At least his last two films, um, which you know people can yeah. name multiple things, whatever. Not trying to pigeonhole him, but it's just like Rupert Wyatt is the we can get this guy, he direct it for pretty cheap, and he'll right. let he, us, he'll he give need, us he what we want, rebound. and we'll give it, we'll let it'll give, he'll give us what we want to see, which is. CGI blobs fighting CGI blobs. Mm-hmm. Circus and Knights would be something like, you know, it'd be, it'd be a little less on that and be more about the relationship between Brock and the symbiote. Right. And that's what we really want to see. That's what we should all really want to see, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Would It'll be so weird to see Venom 2 because I kind of feel like the first one was a fluke getting to ne- nearly getting to a billion dollars. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. But then again, I won't be surprised if Venom 2 comes out and makes a billion dollars. Yeah, like, so it's like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> why is the pick if Sony's not going to, is if Sony's going to do this on their own? Circus is the pick if Marvel's going to get involved in some way. Maybe. Travis Knight, Travis Knight is definitely the pick if Marvel's going to get involved. Travis in Knight, way. I hope, you know, and I, gosh, I, I don't think Venom 2 is going to be part of the MCU. We'll have to wait and see that if whether or not that's the case or not, but... If anything, my hope is that like if Marvel Studios is involved, they're me with Travis Knight just gonna be like, Oh, you wanna talk about Venom too? I mean, okay, but wouldn't you rather wait two years and do our X Men movie? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. <laughs> that yeah. seems like a great option. like it's right. a great option for you. You bring Haley Steinfeld on board and Fantastic you four. you two just ride forward. Yeah, Fantastic Four would be great. Um but I I just don't Travis Knight's probably the best he is the best director of this group, but I think he is the worst fit for Venom barring him wanting to major change and be like right. flex his muscles and show, Oh no, I can do this mm-hmm. weird kind of campy, darker anti-hero story. That's also like a bromance between the symbiote and um, Eddie Brock. I can pull that off and you guys are going to love it. I'm like, okay, great. Right. Travis prove me wrong or prove me right. That that's what you're going to do. And you can do that. Um, but I would rather just see him do something else with his time where it's like, if, Andy Serkis or Rupert Wyatt do Venom to his next project. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. I'm not going to lose sleep over that. Right. I mean, he's batting like he's he's batting a 400 or something like that. Or is that right? I don't well, know. I mean, that's, that's good for term. baseball, but I think it's like you're batting 
a thousand. <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, he, in, in in my head, he's batting a thousand. Yeah, and then again, he's lined up the five billion dollar man or whatever the case is, six million dollar man. Oh, that's right, six billion dollar man. I didn't. I forgot about that. And and if that's really what he wants to go do next, then I guess Venom. It makes sense because that would be just as weirdly dumb. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Not I, that I don't expect. I totally to be forgot about Travis Knight doing six. The Wahlberg film. Yeah. yeah. And that movie. How's the 2020 release date? That Action can't be right. That can't be right. That's got to be delayed. Um, but like, you know, I just, I cannot, I just can't see Travis Knight doing this at all. So if it's, I think it's between Wyatt and Circus, maybe another Dark Horse candidate emerges because I doubt that these three people are the only people Sony has met with. So maybe there's somebody else waiting in the wings we don't know about yet that's going to yeah. get the job. <clears throat> um, I am. Yeti would be a great pick. He, that would make me super excited even though he's doing flash. So, right. Um, but a scary sort of movie with venom that also has like his sensibilities with characters. That seems like a really solid choice for venom too. An entire first venom movie should just be retconned with, with, with whatever <laughs> they do. do. I, I am surprised though that, you know, Fleischer's after all of this time, there's been no movement on venom too. Mm-hmm. It's like my whole thought process has been, Oh, well they're just waiting on zombie land to get out for Fleischer to be done with that film. And then, he'll hop on board for the sequel makes you wonder about zombie land two now a little bit same with the trailer um but now like him not coming back it leaves me with like larger questions of like if cameras are going to roll in november mm-hmm. we're currently you know as of our recording it's still july by the time we get his still gonna be july but we're basically in august yes so we've got three months until cameras start rolling that's not a lot of time to do pre-pro development rewrite a script or anything so like any director who steps on board is going to be doing so to something that's already been done yep bullets uh, in the chamber already yeah so like they're not going to be oh well here's my take on venom they're more like sony's at this point has to be approaching of like which one of you wants to do our version of venom mm-hmm. and again i think that probably means it's super wyatt but like does that still mean that if Fleischer's on the way out a new director's on the way in with Sony creatively controlling the story. You know, are we still getting Carnage played by Woody Harrelson in the sequel? I would probably say no. I would say if Carnage is the villain, it's somebody else. Or I just see them not doing Carnage as the villain of the sequel. And that's a tease set up for the the future. Yeah, uh, it, it's much one or the other, or it's Woody Harrelson. I mean, I don't know. Harrelson's there for the payday. Yeah, that's true. So, but I but I also felt like he did that because of his relationship with Fleischer doing Zombieland, doing Zombieland two. He was going to do this, do Venom two with Fleischer. He did that as a favor to his buddy, and now his buddy is out, and he's just like, well, that was really the only reason I was here. I didn't really want to wear a ridiculous red wig throughout an entire shoot and then oh, be a man. weird CG creature. So but many questions about this. Maybe it'll happen if it if it does happen, and Rupert Wise, the director, that's going to be one. Cr- crazy movie and it seems like at this point venom 2 is on track for a 2020 release so uh shouldn't be that long before we see it phase five woo! Not phase five get that out of here it's not in phase four it's not in phase anything it's not an mcu um it's sony phase five sure i guess well it's, it would be phase so, one began still, with the first spider-man films <laughs> phase two began with spider-man three because okay. they're supposed to launch the whole new back right. to high school sequels uh-huh and then phase three became Andrew Garfield. Yeah. Morbius is going to start phase four. Well, Venom didn't start phase four? Venom, no. That was the end of phase three. 
Then <laughs> Morbius will start phase four, Venom two, phase five. So phase four is going to last one movie? Yes. That's <laughs> this how, is so That's how weird. big it'll be. Why wouldn't Venom be phase four? Have Venom and Morbius be phase four, and then Venom 2 kicks off phase five. Dude, it's Sony. It doesn't have to make sense. Yeah, I, well, clearly. So it doesn't. <laughs> so uh, let's move on from Venom 2. That's enough Venom 2 talk. And uh, talk about this new project that's in the works with Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Ridley Scott, as reported on by Deadline. They are all developing this new movie called The Last Duel, which is based off a novel by Eric Jaeger, uh, which will see the Goodwill Hunting Oscar-winning duo of Damon and Affleck uh, team up for the first time since winning their Oscar to write the script with Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oscar-nominated writer Nicole Holofcener. Uh, that trio are writing the script now, adapting the book by Jaeger, um, and really Scott is currently set, or he's eyeing a direct his, as his next project with Damon and Affleck, also set to star in this revenge story about two best friends which is really wild. The story um, is about one of the one of the friends going to war and then returning home to um, learning that their best friend has been accused of raping his wife. Um, and now the wife's accusations are not a, are not found uh, solid by the government and they push him aside. So the soldier goes to the government, pleads to them, to let them have a duel to the death with God being the ultimate judge, essentially. Yeah, trial by combat, if you will. Right. Game of Thrones fans. Where, uh, at the end of this, if the soldier dies, the one who went off to war, um, whose wife had been raped, if he loses, then his wife will be burned at the stake for false accusations. Meanwhile, if the supposed rapist dies he just dies so whole bunch of stuff to get into here first of all yes matt damon ben affleck ridley scott and um nicole hall of center four super talented all oscar winning or no not all oscar nominated yes um talents so this is one heck of a package that on the surface i'm like whoa Super excited about that. You hear all of these words. You say, wow, what is this movie? I can't wait. Uh-huh. And then you read the um, the synopsis. Yes. Then you read what it's about. And if not for Nicole's name being attached to this movie, <laughs> I would laugh at you because the writers of Life, you know, season 2019 have gotten absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Like, never mind, like, I mean, not never mind, but like, never mind the topic and how it's always mismanaged in some uh-huh. kind of way. This is a true story. Yes. Um, that's, it's, uh, yeah, based on the 14th century. Yes. Um, so all that, sure, that's fine. But if you would have had to pick two people to approach this subject who have definitely not handled this conversation well in public... <laughs> You would, you would, you you would pick Matt Damon and Ben Affleck just because of their ancillary relationship to the Weinstein Company and everything like that. Yeah, that's good and point. and so that's where I'm just like, that's nuts, that's crazy, <laughs> and so, um, Ridley Scott being attached is just like 
he's a good director uh-huh. and they would their pull would bring him to this project so there's no there's no like you know real appall on him or anything like that right and there's the past work relationship with Scott and Damon on The Martian mm-hmm. Damon and Affleck are obviously BFFs still good to well hunting yeah, together they'll turn out something good yes or like you know the, the collaboration mm-hmm. it's just I'm this whole thing like I'm like okay oh good luck good luck just, it's, it's, it's not like you know it's not like shut it down it's just like Oh boy, good yeah. luck! And no. but the presence of Nicole um, makes me think maybe this is like maybe this is like their ill-conceived idea of being like we messed up, you know, defending or like, trying to defend or whatever the whatever the, whatever they were trying to do, they messed up. I guess is their sense, and they're like, oh yeah, this will get us back in the graces of the public or something like that. <laughs> I maybe. don't know, but at its face, it just seems like a like a very laughable idea. <laughs> I mean, it's. I, I see that. I also see why, you know, according to this report, that multiple studios are waiting in the wings because currently the book rights for a film adaptation are held by Disney slash Fox. Mm. Are held, yeah, are held by Disney through the Fox acquisition. So several studios are waiting in the wings to see if Disney is going to option this and pick this movie up or not. I'd, I'd have a pretty strong bet. On the no, <laughs> that they're not going to do this, uh, which I think means bigger things. We can get into in a second, but le- just this team mm-hmm. with a subject matter potentially right. as um, dense and impactful um, as as this could be potentially, depending on how it's executed. Yeah, that's this is a Oscar, you know protege waiting the wings basically it's like mm-hmm. th- everything you want it's a historical piece there's a trauma involved there's revenge and it's got all oscar nominees across the board so far it's like yep. that's that's a package in and of itself that any studio is going to be maybe except for disney is going to be like yes here's whatever you need make this movie now so we can get out for the awards next year and in that regard then it's just like okay like this is going to be huge and on some level, I'm excited to see Damon and Scott work together again because I think they both brought the best out of each other with The Martian, mm-hmm, one of my sure. favorite movies of that year. I'm also excited to see Damon and Affleck back together again because their ride on Goodwill Hunting brought an incredible story to life that is so good and so rewatchable, and they're both really good in that movie. Yeah. And, you know, Hall of Center, I've only seen Can You Ever Forgive Me, but that movie does a lot with its script and it is great. And so her, like you, like you've kind of alluded to her involvement, you know, alleviates some of the potential warning signs with like, huh, how are these people going to handle this subject matter? Right. Um, hopefully she is involved heavily and be like, okay guys, we need to touch this very delicately because there's a lot of ways this to go wrong. Um, a, which one of you going to play the, mm-hmm. the, the bad guy? <laughs> which one's going to play the hero? It seems like typical casting would put Damon as the hero and Affleck yeah. as the villain. Right. Maybe they'd also switch that up and that'd be an interesting turn for each of their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also this other aspect of, of this whole thing that has me fascinated of Disney's potential, potentially not involvement. Because... Yes. A 14th century movie about the revenge against a rapist is not the type of movie Disney ever makes. No. But now, under Fox, 
they have Fox banners, they have Fox Searchlight, Fox 2000, I think still, um, unless they've already shut down. They have all these different divisions that they can now put this movie out under without being like a, hey, here's Walt Disney movie. Uh-huh. Oh, this is not what you expected. <laughs> right. Unless uh, you, yeah, I mean, the Hunchback of Notre Dame comes close, <laughs> but it's not quite as... Uh, it's not, not quite this. You're right. It's not quite as explicit, I would say, on the face. So this is this is really a question of like, you know, will Disney mm-hmm. show in their post-Fox merger that this was... Yes, this was about adding titles to their Disney Plus library. Yes, it was about, you know, gaining access to all these other IPs that they can then reboot and retool mm-hmm. and gain more money than they've already made this year, which is already, I believe, a record for them, thanks to Aladdin and uh, Toy Story and all the and Lion King and Endgame and Spider-Man <laughs> and uh, I guess Spider-Man doesn't count and Captain Marvel. They've already set the Disney record for sure. a gross year. They still have Star Wars 9 at the end of the year. That's insane. Mm-hmm. And Frozen 2 and... Yeah. I think other things. Frozen so too. It's 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 wild. Um, they are on cloud nine already, and now they have all these resources, all of this money, and they have a package like this, which on one side could turn out terribly for them. And yeah. It's uh, this is super inappropriate, offensive. It does not handle its material well. On the other hand, it's this is really delicately done, and Scott Damon Affleck Hall of Center are at the top of their games movie, and it wins fourteen Oscars. Right. And is Disney? In this post-Fox era, are they going to pony up and make this movie? What yeah. do you think? Yeah, I, I, it's, I, I'm ready for this conversation to be had. Uh huh. But I'm not, I don't, I'm not ready for it to be hap- to happen with this movie okay. specifically, <laughs> <laughs> because it's just because as soon as I read it, I'm like, who would, who would take the rest? And somebody will uh, yes. eventually, if not, if the, if the rights do revert back to Eric or the, you know, the original author or whoever yeah. sold them. Um. And so, like, the publishing house, whatever. And so, like, but the conversation of what will Disney let Fox do mm-hmm. is something to be had. It's something we talked about a ton um, in, the, in the abstract of the merger, in the lead-up to the merger, after the merger. And But this one, specifically right here, um, until, like, a script You don't gets, think it's, like, a great barometer? Yeah, I don't think it's a great barometer. <laughs> it's more of, like, would they have made Stuber? <laughs> yeah, yeah, would they have made... It's, 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 yeah, it's, it, it's better to be had around something even stupider than this. Okay. Where, I mean, I don't think it could get... I mean, yeah, or that. But it would be something... It would, it would actually be, like, if Quentin took a, took a movie to Fox. Yeah. Would they make that movie? That would be the bigger question for me than I mean, anything else. Because I mean, he had. To, I mean, thank goodness for um, so you know Sony and mm-hmm. Quentin's rep at this point, because that movie wouldn't have probably probably wouldn't have gotten made. I don't know. Oh, I, that movie's gonna get made regardless. Yeah, I mean, it's Tarantino. You have but a movie. Like this that. was one of two chances supposedly to yeah. make a Tarantino movie if you haven't done one already, because he had had everything set up with the Weinstein. So it's a mm-hmm. oh, Benny Ward made forty million dollars this opening weekend. Yes. Um, the biggest opening of his career, the biggest opening for Leo and DiCaprio since uh, 2013, and it's the second biggest opening weekend for an original IP movie of the year, just behind Jordan Peele's Us. Well, not just behind it, because Us basically doubled its opening weekend, mm-hmm. but uh, that's still a feat, and it yeah. still proves that, you know, at this point, directors can still be significant draws to material. That's off topic a little bit, but yeah. I think it still goes to show that, like, you know, maybe that is, like, oh, the 10th Tarantino movie is up for grabs. Mm-hmm. Is Fox bidding on it or not? Right. Yes. If and if they're not in the mix, they're idiots. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that and that'll be the good. That'll be that'll, that'll be a better way to say it. That, that's a better way to look at it than anything else. This is just this is in its infancy. 
infancy right now. And so we'll see how the script gets churned out because these are just rights and everything yeah. like that. I mean, it's a, the script is supposedly almost done. So we should know soon. It seems like at this point we're just kind of waiting on Disney's decision on whether or not to do this movie. Mm-hmm. I cannot see them doing this movie in any form really. So I think they're going to pass on it and I could see, mm, I feel like Warner's is the, the most likely landing spot for this. Um, but you know, maybe it's, maybe it's Paramount. Nah, it's, it can't be Paramount. Universal. They need stuff. We'll maybe see. it's Sony. Maybe Sony eats it up and, uh, Scott and Sony have a good relationship, don't they? Try to remember. Yeah, me neither. I, I can't know. remember. I can't recall a Columbia logo in front of any of his films. No. Um, but so we'll have to wait and see how The Last Duel comes, uh, if it does, um, if it does actually transpire or not. But we'll move on to a lighter subject here. But uh, also involving a last duel? Kind yeah, of? yeah. Perhaps? The, Hypothetically. The, the, the potential last duel of uh, Jedi in the Skywalker saga? Yeah. Um, because Kevin Smith, as he is, is always hyping things up. Um, and so... This past weekend after Comic-Con, um, you know, he's talking about Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker in an interview with IGN. He said that, you know, he's already said before that he visited the set during production. He's teased that, how it's incredible, how it's people are going to be amazed by what J.J. Abrams has imagined here. And now this week, you know, he's drummed up some more hype by talking about the f- supposed final set that is so big and so epic and so incredible that holds something so amazing that... Abrams and other crew members were like, oh, Kevin, you shouldn't go there because, quote, you want to be in a theater when this happens. Trust me. So this is, you know, probably hyperbole on Kevin Smith's part. He does that mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but this has also raised the conversation. I thought it'd be fun to have you after such uh, <laughs> a difficult past one to be like, okay, if that's the case, let's say Kevin Smith's telling the truth and what JJ told him is correct. And if that is what JJ told him and that, you know, the final scene in Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, the final scene in the Skywalker saga is something so epic and amazing that you don't want to know about until you've seen it in the theaters. Yeah. What could it be? Uh, I don't know, but it would have to be something really, really, really momentous. Yeah. Because well, just think about that last just think about that whole setup. Never mind the speculation. If you're J.J. Abrams, if you're this whoever has screenwriting credit on this movie, if you're the set builder, you're designing the final shot of nine move a nine movie saga. Yeah, 40, 45 years of stories. Forty five years of stories. Nine, twelve hours. 13 hours of footage, 15 hours in total. The footage, oh, I mean, the footage amount will be immense of the all whole, nine the whole, films. Oh, I mean, definitely over nine hours. Yeah. So it'd be like, it'd be like 18, close to 20. 20. Yeah. 20 hours of film. What's your final shot? I have no clue what that would be. It, it could range from just a, a, like a, you know, angel, like, you know, 10,000 angels or 10,000 force ghosts, you know, in the sky uh-huh. over Tatooine, you know, fading. And then Luke finally going to join his, you know, dad and Obi-Wan and Yoda yeah. and everybody else, you know, out there. Or it could just be something as, you know, as low key as like a broom boy again, you know, right. or I think you, you had a really great off, off, off mic set, but it'd be something that like gets inconsequential or something, um, 
something cyclical. Mm-hmm. But that I mean Broom Boy kind of already alludes. That's already that kind of c- yeah. uh, cyclical moment, if you will. So, uh, I, you know, like you said. Kevin hypes things up. Mm-hmm. Um, mind melting. It's just like one of those words. Like, it seems like it would just come out of his vocabulary. Other yeah. than stay away from that. That's the that's the, our last set, and it'll be really cool, really amazing. Mm-hmm. And then he'll then turns it up to mind yeah. melting. He he not he turns that tease that was at like a seven on the T scale up to a mm-hmm. fifteen. It's like <laughs> this is going to be the biggest scene in cinematic history. Oh my gosh! Yeah, You're like I mean, okay, maybe Kevin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. It would have to be something so obvious and bold and not subtle if this were if this is all to be true and believed and taken and um, all sorts of things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, my my joke pitch that you just you you alluded to, um, which you know <laughs> I'm joking about it, but also would be I'd be totally down for it because it'd be so so funny. Um, is that there's a there's a hard cut to black at the end of the the rise of skywalker and then it fades in we're in a, a, a house in the galaxy far far away you don't know who it is there's mm-hmm. characters around there's a broom up against the wall and then we find out that that, that the person we are seeing is a grown-up version of broom boy and he is read and he is telling his kids the story of the skywalkers and this whole thing has been narrated and told through broom boy's perspective i yeah. think that'd be incredible <laughs> just to be like a hey you didn't mm-hmm. like last jedi who cares <laughs> yes. the whole thing's about broom boy it's actually <laughs> ryan johnson emerging from the ground yes he can play old broom boy doing oh yes That's, that'd be incredible would that be amazing because he made his cameo in a movie yet um i th- i want to say he was in rogue one as yes um one of the like uh, operators when the Death Star fired or something. That's you can't his, you yes. can't see his face, but yes. but I I'm pretty sure it's been confirmed. That I think I you can him. see his chin line Maybe. or something. Yes. Um. <laughs> and Edwards' own cameo is the believer saving yes. the detaching. The, yep. Um. What's the name of the ship? The Cornelian the, Corvette, which is the Yantiv. No. Okay. Tantive, Tantive Four. Thank there you. There we go. Wow. That, that there was, we go. That was a little bit of a walk. Deep cut. But yeah, or that, or or as I said to you off mic too, um, it we zoom out and then we zoom out larger and we zoom out larger and we realize that the galaxy, the, the galaxy far far away, is actually a black wall with stickers painted on it. Then we zoom out further and we see George Lucas playing with Star <laughs> Wars action figures and we realize it was all in his head the entire time. I mean, I'm all here for these super fourth wall breaking. Eh? Wink. But it would need to be something that sews up, you know, three trilogies. Right. I mean, I think it, regardless of, you know, this Kevin Smith tease, there is a lot of pressure on the final scene of episode nine. I mean, that's just, that's how it is when you're ending a trilogy, but also when you're ending the Skywalker saga, as they've repeatedly said that this movie will be. Um, And so I think you either go one of two ways you don't split it in the middle and go oh this is like a a decent you either go super personal and small and it's like a recreation of like the end of like a new hope or something and ray is staring off into the sunset in the sands and you get the classic john williams theme plan you're like oh this is star wars i I, love it i would cry if there's a twin sunset and and maybe that's what it is and she's revisiting the home of 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 luke and that's that's, oh this is incredible i'm oh my gosh i can't believe this or it's again that's like the the on a two scale of like you know hype and then you scale up to 11 and it's here's the skywalker academy and Mm -hmm. ray is there training a new generation oh what 
Kylo's there too. He's turned good. Oh my gosh, he's alive. They're together training a new generation of Skywalkers because that's a new term for the Jedi. And there's statues of yeah. of of uh, of Luke, of Yoda, of Anakin, of 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 all these important Jedi. Mace Windu's up there for some reason. You're like, wait, what? Uh, yes. <laughs> no, I mean he probably. Well, he actually, probably... Man, Mace Windu would probably be in Jedi hell. <laughs> But I, I think he would still probably be honored. And then there's like teases on the far right of like this character who's going to appear in like the Ben F. Wise, mm-hmm. you know, KOTOR trilogy. It's like, oh, I don't like that's like, you know, okay. not Bane no. or something, but like, you know, it's something. I'll throw that out there. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's what's gone. happening. That, that's what's happening. Uh, and you're like, I, that's, okay. I would love that though. Could you, could Obi-Wan, Ian McGregor oh, yeah, returning either. as old Obi-Wan or young Obi-Wan, I guess. Well, I mean, he wouldn't need to return. It would just be. Actually, their, their faces, their their likeness. What would you do? Or you do that same thing and you pan up and there's a cliff on the side and there's like, you know, Force Ghost, Yoda and Obi and Anakin and they're all there smiling like, oh man, we're okay. did it. In our, in our dream moment, there's a thousand percent chance that Liam Neeson is returning Ooh, to yeah. Force Ghost Qui-Gon Jinn. That'd be pretty great. Right? Right? I mean, if, if there's this epic force ghost thing that's not just the skywalkers mm-hmm. you know say you know the movie ends with you know kylo dying or something and it's the kind of you know return of the jedi sort of ending where it's here's anakin played by hidden uh christensen here's kylo yeah. adam driver here's mark hamill all in force ghost form the 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 three eras of the skywalkers looking over the skywalker academy or something i mean like we've brought balance to the universe to the galaxy and now they're carrying on we did something good mm-hmm. we do that and leia's there too or something um because she is tragically uh you know yes. she, she's passed oh. off screen or something um and that that that's just how that's just how this goes and you're like oh man this is so epic on so many levels with the academy with the skywalker name with mm-hmm. the with the force ghost and there's all this greatness happening and you're yeah. like oh i can't believe this and kevin smith is like and you know jj's t's like dude trust me please don't go see this yeah because a i want you to see it in the theater but also b if you see it you're gonna tease it and mm-hmm. you're gonna put a spoiler at some yeah, point, probably. exactly so i can't let you go to that set and so like that's the kind of tease it's like, oh that's how it goes but like i think you have to go to that extreme of like here's the culmination of everything you yeah. have to do the the funeral scene for iron man at the end of avengers endgame but the star wars version mm-hmm. or you have to go the complete opposite of the spectrum and go super personal here's ray you know standing on the outskirts of the academy it's up and running people are training jedi and she's looking off in the distance teasing huh she could stay there she could also go leave and boom yeah 10 years 10 years down the road we pick back up with ray's story interesting well, that part's not happening well you know but because daisy's done um yeah she is now I am... 10 years from now <laughs> money talks <laughs> well yeah that's, that's true 50 million dollars you know, maybe for, maybe ophelia is not the big hit that she imagined is going to be or something i hope it is though um pretty sure it already hit theaters it already hit theaters she's already done press for it well we've definitely not gotten it that's for sure so uh my bra you know whatever the case is oh i definitely would have seen it but yeah that would be that would be wonderful. I think. I think. I mean, like, if if just walking in there is a spoiler, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Not to mention, you see Liam Neeson, Anakin, or you know, <laughs> Christian Hemsworth, um, Christian. Christian uh, I was about to say Panettiere. I was like, that's not Haydenson. <laughs> thank you, not Hemsworth. <laughs> you know, um, along with you know Frank Oz getting the puppeteering, Yoda mm-hmm. ready, who will definitely be in the movie. Oh yeah, already. absolutely. Um, and then Mark Hamill along alongside of like he basically three. 40, 50 years of actors who've gone on to be one with the force yeah. throughout this, you know, all appear in the sky. That would be nuts. To be fair, if that's happening, I don't think that that's all 
they're all coming to set to do that. That's a, uh, hey, we finished production. Hey, Liam, you want to come visit Skywalker Ranch real quick? By the mm-hmm. way, we're going to throw you in this dark room. <laughs> Only JJ's around. Yeah. You're going to put on this costume. And we're going to film you just looking off in the distance for With two all- seconds. Because they're not going to, if they had brought, you know, <laughs> all of these people to set, there's a, de- I mean, yeah, I, mean, I guess you kept, kept uh, Ian McDermott under wraps that he was mm-hmm. there. But like, if you brought Hayden Christensen, uh, uh, Liam Neeson, uh, Ewan McGregor, all these people to set to be like, here's your epic force ghost shot. Like, come on. That would have got out. I don't know, but that photo of all, all the months that would be beautiful. Oh, sure. Cool. That'd be incredible. But like, I feel like if you do that, it's, uh, this is so late in the game. It may have not even been filmed yet. Like this is off topic, but the, the, uh, J- spoilers for Spider-Man Far From Home, kind of, you haven't seen it yet. I mean, it made, made a billion dollars. I imagine you have, especially for this in this podcast, but, um, jk simmons's cameo at the end uh kevin feige has revealed that 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 scene was shot two weeks before the premiere because they were so worried about it leaking that they had jk come in pitched him the idea and then he was on board and then in a marvel studios you know boardroom Mm -hmm. they put a green screen up behind him put the makeup on and then he did his rant and that was it they didn't even call him beforehand they're like jk well maybe they did beforehand oh i was gonna say that would have been oh yeah they got him on board with it and right. then they pitched him they pitched him the idea of what he's gonna do yeah. and then went right to it and then yeah filmed it two weeks before the premiere so that way it wouldn't have leaked and if it did it would have been like so late and it was like what he just filmed no mm-hmm. you guys are crazy mm-hmm. so that's if nuts. something like this is happening this is epic culmination of the Skywalker saga all these different characters are coming in for Force Ghost appearances like I think that thing isn't happening it hasn't been filmed yet right. and if it is if it does film. I don't think it's a, here's everybody together in one room. It's like, hey, all you six people all come in over a six-week span, mm-hmm. all separately. Yeah. <laughs> come in this one room, and we're going to film you for five seconds. Yeah, you know, that wouldn't even make sense either, because if they did jump, if they did rebuild, it would just be to, I mean, because I'm assuming they're talking about Pinewood, right? Uh, Is that where Kevin visited? I don't know. You know, he definitely didn't go on location. No, no, I don't think so. It, but yeah, it probably would have been Pinewood overseas. Yeah, then I can't really imagine what that set would be. But I mean, it, it would because but, if they're in, they're on Tatooine. They're definitely gonna be on location for that. Probably, but there's also, I mean, it could be anywhere. If, if you if you have to hide it, you just put a bunch of sand down, mm-hmm. put a bunch of green screen around, and then boom, there's Daisy. Yeah, that'd but be, even then, that'd be like, nice. but I don't. But like, that's the thing. Like that sort of a thing is so small in detail. It's like. If you saw that, that that's the end, that's the, that's the final shot, that's the mm-hmm. final location, it's like, huh, like, there are so many different possibilities of what just, just the set would give away that I feel like it has to be something, this big, grandiose reveal of, like, the culmination of the nine-film story, but also what the ninth film is going to tell, something huge like the Skywalker Academy or some, like, some major prominent location that's recognizable that you would know is a dead giveaway to something. Yeah. And if you just have, like, a... Tatooine hut it's like huh that could be <laughs> the, the 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 original one it could not be we yeah, don't know that's that's a really great point and, and maybe it's just like a statue of Luke or maybe I don't know what maybe. it could be but I, but I feel like it has to be something big and grandiose I mean you're ending a nine film saga right you can't be like I don't think they're gonna end it of like a this very calm subdued very personal thing you're gonna end it big and like 
emphatic. I love how we started. I love how I started with like, oh, this this can't be overhyped, and then we're here. We are overhyped. Here we are. <laughs> this is what's happening. It's the Scour Academy. There's eight Jedi Force ghosts looking looking over the course, uh, looking over the the whole training facility, giving their blessing. Mm-hmm. Super proud of what's happened. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it'll, it'll be crazy, and we'll probably be totally wrong about it. That's totally fine. Can't wait to see what JJ has imagined. Whether it is this giant thing or this super small thing, but we'll move on from Star Wars 9 and out of the movie news section into Ticket or Skip It, um, as there are a couple trailers this week that dropped that are deserving of our tickets, so we'll have to give one of them our ticket each with A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood debuting its first trailer, Harriet, trailer number one, also dropping the first trailer for Jojo uh, Rabbit, the second trailer for Gemini Man, and the first trailer for Zombieland Double Tap, all dropped this week. Josh, which one of these five gets your ticket this week? One thousand percent goes right to Jojo Rabbit. I knew it. Oh man! I as soon as I was like, uh, interesting, kind of uh, Wes Anderson vibes here, like strong Wes Anderson vibes actually, like incredibly intense. But then Taika Waititi steps out from behind a tree as your good old buddy Adolf Hitler, and yeah. you know, in his um, in his New Zealander accent, uh-huh. uh, and you, I just started cracking up laughing. In the middle, uh, I think where was I doing? What was I doing? I was like in the middle of a walk or something like that, and I loved it to death. Don't need to know anything else. I mean, the movie looks wistful and fun, and Sam um, Rockwell is doing some weird gun kung fu. Right. Yeah. <laughs> At least I think that was him, right? That was him. Yeah. And it just looks hysterical all the way around, and uh, I'm a thousand percent here for it. Like, bring it all on. I don't care what else. I don't need to be sold on anything else. Um, this was it. Did you see the excellent Jojo Rabbit uh, meme? I did. It oh, was man. perfect. I, I, I may have loved that more than the trailer. <laughs> yes. It was just so perfect. <laughs> what? No. Takwatiti. Takatakatwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikwikw
in the Oscar conversation, I will be completely shocked just based on this trailer. So it's a it's a it's a big ticket for me. Um, I, I cannot wait for this movie. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm right there with you. It pained me to not like pick this, <laughs> but the, Tom Hanks's warmth just feels like Fred Rogers's, and it's it's and it's true. As soon as he tosses the shoe from his left to right hand, oh, it was like wow, or right to left hand catches it. He's like, "Hi, neighbor." And yeah, you're just like, "Oh no, this is gonna hurt so much," and I just can't. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. It's it, yeah, I cannot it's wait. gonna be so good. And I think a lot of these other trailers were pretty good uh, that came this week too. There was also who move out of ticker skip it into the fiber here to wrap up this episode there was a trailer that dropped last week that was mentioned in our ticker skip it section it got a lot of harsh reactions it's the cast trailer oh, yeah. we didn't talk about it last week because neither of us wanted to give a ticket but i feel like it was a very light news week what 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 are you thinking about cats <laughs> i don't know anything about cats that's the thing i don't know the story i didn't know that the one song that's is really well known that I don't remember right now. Yes. Is actually from Cats. I thought that was just like a really well known song. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. Hmm. So the Cats, the musical, the play, has brought something positive to the world. I've never seen the the play nope. or any or anything. Me neither. Um but the visuals here are really weird. I don't even want to say disconcerting. Because that's not even the right word either. I just feel incredibly anxious as soon as like as soon as the first shot started. It's like, yeah. what is going on here? They're, they're, they're melding them, but they're not quite melding them. Yeah, and it's 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 not it's not even to the level that um, Circus did with his Jungle Book adaption, Mowgli. It's oh, no, it's it's here's a cat's body, mm-hmm. basically. Um, but here's a fully human face with yeah. like, you know, that the, the small triangle nose and whiskers and whatnot. But like, it's a very clearly human face. It's like, oh, that's clearly Rebel Wilson. Oh, that's clearly James Corden. Oh, that's clearly Jason Derulo. That's yes. clearly um, uh, Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. All these people. Like, that is so obvious. Where it's like, you know, the the jungle, the the Mowgli movie that Andy Circus did. I'm like, I mean, that, I can kind of tell that that's Andy Circus. I can kind of tell that's Christian Bale. But it's not super obvious. Right. This one, it's like, oh, no, that's Taylor Swift. Yes. That's this person. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so strange. It's it, so weird. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, like Sir Ian McKellen and Dame, <laughs> Dame Judi Dench is in there as well. And, it's, and she's wearing a fur coat. Over top of her fur? Yeah. I have so many questions about that. So do I. Their bodies are like completely smooth too. Yes. Which... Is, I'm gonna want to go even further than that, but like I don't know. I, it's it's a very early look, so we'll yeah. see what the final result is, I suppose. Right. But it's is not making me interested in the oh, no. cat's movie. I was never interested in the movie to begin with, and I'm not gonna see it. I mean, it's going up against Star Wars opening weekend, so that is a no contest. I'll Oof. be there for Star Wars. Rough call. Um, but you know, who knows? I guess the only way I'm seeing this movie is if out of just morbid curiosity, I'm like, I have to see yeah. what this is like to be part of the, the film Twitter conversation of how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Or it's the opposite where it's like, everybody's like, well, we trashed this movie for six months. Turns out it's actually pretty good. Yeah. I, <laughs> and then I'm like, there's no way I'll have to go see it. We will see, man. But I just, I have no, like, I can't imagine this musical will 
make anyone feel the way cats fanatics feel about the play the musical yeah you know what i mean and you know we'll see tom hooper maybe maybe um yeah uh as we kind of wrap up the flyby here uh there's an, a slight possible update on Deadpool 3 as director of Deadpool 2. David Leach told Uproxx that he is hopeful that Disney and Marvel Studios will bring him back to do Deadpool 3 in a future phase of the MCU. Which brings up two questions. Is he the right guy to do Deadpool 3? And should Deadpool 3 be brought into the proper MCU timeline? Yeah, um, yeah he should be brought back. But he should also be like thrown in a room with Taika Waititi. Okay. To write that movie. I mean, Taika and Reynolds go back. They have a yeah, relationship. Exactly. And I think I think that would be the right call because what Deadpool's what Deadpool 2 was missing was comedy mm-hmm. and not just like, oh, we're going to get all meta and referential. It was really lazy comedy writing. Like, what if we just make it jokes about the X-Men and things like that? Yeah. That's what it lived and breathed off of. And it needs, needs a little more physical gags like mm-hmm. Tim Miller brought to the first one. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm here for David Leach to do Deadpool 3. I don't think it's going to happen anytime relatively soon, as in, like, it's going to happen in the next two years. Um, so if it's brought into the MCU, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be cool with that. I'd love to see Deadpool become, like, the new Stan Lee cameo who just, like, randomly appears in the background of every movie <laughs> just to be like, oh, there's Deadpool. That's weird. Why is he in space? Right. Doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, I'd also be fine if because the multiverse is going to be opened up. Mm-hmm. We know it's already exists. Um, but, like, you know, 2021 is going to really mess with that. It looks like, you know, if Deadpool 3 still takes place in its own pocket universe and it's like, oh, the X-Men exist. Yeah. But the Avengers aren't. And he references, like, oh, I'm, you know, in a, I'm in, I'm on Earth 726. I'm not in the you know the, the main MZ one, so I'm off my own. I'm still I'm still there. I could be part of a crossover, mm-hmm. but I'm not in the actual main MC timeline. Yeah, and I'd be fine with that too. So, um, lastly, another project that may or may not happen. Uh, George Miller gave a possible update on his uh, Mad Max future movies. Uh, as he told IndieWire that it quote seems to be pretty clear that it's going to happen when he was asked about his future films, which include two more with Tom Hardy and one more with Charlize Theron's Furiosa. Will these actually happen? Yes or no? Yes. All of them? Mm, yeah, they will all happen. Number one, the IP war is just beginning. True. No, it's actually begun. It's, it is in full force. <laughs> it, is in, it is in full force, but when Avatar 2 is released, Warner Brothers will need something. And they'll have, because Marvel movies are, they're, they're, Marvel movies and DC films are sort of becoming ingrained. So now you need to have an event film that's <laughs> outside of superheroes? outside of your superhero event films, uh-huh. and that's what these will be for Warner Brothers. So they'll they'll probably they're going to get things settled. It'll be points off the back end or something like that. I don't know what they'll do. The new deals yeah. for all these films will be like do five films with us instead and don't take them anywhere. It'll be like, on Netflix. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. Or it'll end up on Netflix. You know what I mean? That that that's probably what will happen. Listen, I as much as I like the convenience of Netflix, we talked about how they may oh. be saving the industry in some ways in a, on a past big question. Um, but I do not want to see Mad Max movies debut on Netflix. I want to see them in the theater if they do get made. I hope they do get made at some point. But George Miller, every year that goes by, he just keeps getting up there, and I'm just like, does he still have it in him? I don't know. I sure hope so. Um, you know, Mad Max was a troubled production. It was like. Like three or four years, mm-hmm. um, and tons of reshoots, and I don't think we're going to get all three of these movies. I will probably bet on the sequel to Mad Max Fury Road, where it's like the Tom Hardy yeah. one, and then maybe 
the Furiosa spinoff. But I don't think we get all three. So uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope we get a ton of Mad Max movies from George Miller in the years to come. But at this point, it seems like the clock is ticking. And I'm not sure how long they'll actually be around. So um, that brings us to the end of this episode. Next week, we'll be back with a review of Hobbs and Fast Shaw? and Furious Presents Hobbs yeah. and Shaw. Yes. I knew what we were doing this time. Daddy's got to go to work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for Hobbs and Shaw, weirdly mm-hmm. enough, just because... It's going to be insane and ridiculous, and I'm just ready for a completely over-the-top, ridiculous good time with The Rock and Jason Statham just throwing insults at each other for two and a half hours, or however long this movie is. I hope it's six hours long. (laughs) I have so many questions about this movie. Um, The action's going to be top-notch. We've seen all of that. The the one-liners and the jokes throughout are what they're going to be like the most interesting, especially after I saw a... Uh, them going through airport security <laughs> with their IDs and oh, uh, boy, work. okay, I won't even spoil it then because it'll, it'll probably be a great joke <laughs> in the theater. Um, so, <laughs> you know, bring it on. And uh, this is the first non Fast and Furious Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, the one, the first one, eh, kind of. I mean, Tokyo, Tokyo Drift, Drift is, is something. outside of there. <laughs> Fast Two is like in that odd place where it's like, oh, it still follows Paul Walker's character, but like. Vin Diesel's not around, and they count it in the anthology though. So that's why that's I, true. That's, that's true. why you they're if they're running with the numbers, it would be like you know Star Trek true. counting Star Wars. <laughs> right. It'd be like Star Trek ten. Like wait why? a minute. Oh, we're counting the other nine Star Wars movies. Oh, oh. that makes sense. Okay. okay. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> so yeah, TBH or no? I don't know. Well, it, it's it's coming. I'm I'm just so interested. <laughs> and well, it's so weird, but yeah, I, I it. I think it'll be a wonderful mess. Listen, I I feel, oh, I, I don't want to say this, but I, I will. I feel confident this is going to be my favorite Fast and Furious movie. Same here. Just because it's going to be, I trust The Rock's vision. I trust Statham's ridiculous jokes. Vanessa Kirby, Idris Elba, David Leach behind the camera. I just feel like this is going to be the completely insane, we know what this brand has become. We're going to embrace it and run with it. And yes. I'm going to love it for that. Yep. Hopefully. Fingers yep. crossed. Not predetermined that I'm going to love the movie. It could be a disaster. Um, but I really hope that is not the case. So um, that brings us to an end of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, though, please uh, subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head over to iTunes. Give us a five-star review with comments. And then be sure to tell us your thoughts on anything covered by iTunes after the film. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks, Sam, for tuning in to the Friends Podcast. Josh. Thank you for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our future episodes.